There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Please bow with me for a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you for this brief moment, God, this preaching moment. This time you have called the saints together, God, we ask that you would sharpen us, encourage our hearts, God, refresh us, correct us this morning. Open our hearts and our minds, O oh God, to all that you have to say to us today. Bless us now as we come, O oh God. I ask that you would hide me behind the cross, that I would decrease while you increase. God, we bless you, and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. At the end of chapter 7, Paul provides a calm assurance to his audience and all believers of having the power to overcome sin. But he includes a reminder that during his lifetime, that during this lifetime rather, there will be constant tension. Because in, sinful, in the sinful nature, even a believer is a slave to the law of sin. So the question arises, are we to spend our entire lives defeated by sin? And the answer is a resounding no. In chapter 8, Paul describes the life of victory and hope that every believer has because of Christ. He begins his description of the victorious Christian life, referring repeatedly to the Holy Spirit. Now, up to this point in his letter, Paul has only mentioned the Spirit twice. And not at all in verses 7 through 25 in chapter 7. From this point, from this point on, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times. So in the overall framework of the letter... Paul seems to have held, held, held back on this teaching for, for whatever reason. But it's important to be aware of our need for the Holy Spirit before we're ready and willing to receive the Holy Spirit's help. And so my first point uh, this morning is justification in Christ. I have three points. Justification in Christ, freedom in Christ, and condemned by God. I'll read verse 1 again for emphasis. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation. 
And Paul uses this word, therefore, we see in verse 1, because really it is the hinge that swings from salvation by faith alone in chapter 3 through 7, in particularly the redemptive work of Christ in chapters 3 and 5, to where we are in chapter 8, where believers are free from God's banishing judgment. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. The word condemnation means death sentence. Eternal death. Damnation. Christ has paid our debt once and it will never be asked for again. If Christ has pardoned us, we have been pardoned for all eternity. Our guilt, our once guilty verdict has been reversed. He will not retract his pardon and punish his children again. God says, I have punished Christ. Now you go free. When has God expelled condemnation to the believer? Well, according to the scripture, now. Now refers to the boundless change that occurred in salvation history when the Son of God bore the full weight of the cross on his shoulders in his bloody body on the cross. Now that Christ has come, we no longer have to bring blood sacrifices to atone for our sins. Now that Christ has come, we have been reconciled to the Father. There is no more hostility. God is no longer our enemy. The war with God is over. But the devil uses our failures and our guilt to make us question what God has done for us. But our assurance must be focused on Christ and not our performance. Because sometimes church folk act ugly. Can I get a witness? And we don't always perform at the highest level. But I'm so glad that the gospel, that our gospel is not a performance-based gospel. Amen? God's pleasure in us does not depend on what we do. We are saved by grace through faith and not by works lest any man should boast. In Christ, in Christ, because we have been saved by Christ, that means that we are in Christ Jesus. We are not condemned. To be in Christ means we have put our faith in him. and We have become a member of his body of believers. Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. From a theological perspective, there are really only two types of people. Those who are in Adam, those who are in Christ. If you're in Adam, you're under the just condemnation of a holy God. 
But if you're in Christ, you have been clothed in his righteousness. If you're in Adam, then you are awaiting the judgment. A judgment that will condemn you for all eternity. But if you're in Christ, your judgment day has already come. I was talking to somebody the other day. They said, oh, I'm praying. I'm praying. Just hope I did enough to get in. I said, well, you bot won't get in. Because if you have to depend on your own works, if your own righteousness, you won't go nowhere. We have to depend on the righteousness of another. It is an alien righteousness outside of ourselves, outside of the church, out of this world. It is a righteousness that's found only in the Savior. An alien righteousness given to us, a free gift by our God. There is no condemnation to God's people. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Believers should keep in mind the reality of our rescue and the gift of God's grace in Christ. We walk according to the Spirit. Paul uh, uh, wrote, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, he's not saying that no condemnation is based on our conduct, but rather our position in Christ. Amen. We are hidden in Christ. We don't stand on our own. We don't come before God on our own. We are in Christ. And so if we worry about whether or not we have been pleasing to the Father, don't worry about it because we are in Christ. When John baptized Jesus and Jesus came out of the water and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, guess who else he was talking about? You. Because we are in Christ. In all of our efforts, we can't please him enough. But I thank God I don't have to depend on my own righteousness because my own righteousness is as a filthy rag. Oh, I wish I had a witness. Yes, 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 it is true that those who are in Christ should not walk according to the flesh. We should not indulge in our sinful desires. But if we do, and we will, it's not a condition for our status of no condemnation. Next point, freedom in Christ. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ, in Christ Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm set free. In verse 1, we saw why we are not condemned, and that's because of Christ. And in verse 2, we'll look at how we are not condemned. How is this all possible? Well, the spirit of life, which is the Holy Spirit, is the power behind our rebirth or our regeneration for every believer. John also wrote in chapter 3 in verse 6 and 7, he said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
So the Holy Spirit transformed our lives. He transformed the lives of the believers so we experienced the new birth. The Holy Spirit also sets us free from sin and its natural consequences, consequences which is death. We are now dead to sins, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're, we're not dead to all of its influence. I think you know that. But we are dead to its enslaving power. Sin is the evil king that will reign over us if we allow it to. Amen. It wants to reign. It wants to come in and take over. But hallelujah. I'm in Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul uses the word law in our text, he's, he's not referring to the Mosaic law or the Ten Commandments, but he is referring to a, a system of operation or, or a principle. A system of operation that the spirit of life performs in our lives. It's like the law of gravity. You don't have to compel or force the law of gravity to work. It's a natural function in the earth. It's always on. You can't turn it on. You can't turn it off. It's the same way with the law of the spirit. It's constantly at work and will ultimately accomplish the goal of conforming every believer into the image of God's son. That's sanctification. And lastly this morning, condemned by God. Verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In verse 2, when Paul used the word law, he's speaking of a, a system of operation again or a principle. But here in verse 3, he's referring to the Mosaic law or the Ten Commandments. Or as summarized, God's moral law. All believers throughout all time are obligated to obey the law. But now, that's a problem because the law does not provide the power to keep it. The law can tell me I'm a sinner, but it can't make me a saint. Yes, the law is holy, it is, it is, it is just, it is good according to chapter 7 and verse 12, but it is powerless to enable people to meet its demands. Because it's weakened by the flesh or our sinful nature. The law is a mirror that shows us how dirty we are, but it can't make us clean. What the law could not do, God did. When the Savior condescended, came down to planet earth. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now don't get it twisted now. I, I didn't say uh, sinful flesh. But 
the likeness of sinful flesh. Because if he came in sinful flesh, then he would have to die for himself. Last time I checked, God is not dead. When Jesus came into the world in human form, he resembled sinful humanity, not just in appearance. He was a true human savior, born of a virgin. The word became flesh. He had the same desires that yield to sin, but he didn't sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. The savior was sinless. The lamb without blemish who died as an offering for sin. So not only did, did Christ give himself as a sacrifice for sins, but through his death, he, con he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, sin is defeated in the life of believer because of Christ's sacrifice. Amen. That's, that, that's, that's shouting a uh, word right there. Amen. I know, I, know we're, I know we're not Presbyterian, but you can shout if you want to. <laughs> Only my Presbyterian brothers and sisters shout all over the church, but that's all right. God's condemnation against sin had, uh, was poured out on the sinless flesh of Christ on the cross. Hallelujah, Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins. Glory to God. And he paid the ransom with his own blood. In his substitutionary death, he died a death that we deserved so that we can be set free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do the lamb did. We have, been we have been empowered to obey. As followers of Christ, we live righteous lives. Not in the power of the law, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. The law does not have the power to produce holiness. It can only reveal and condemn sin. But the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in obedience to God's will. See, when we try to obey God in our own strength, we fail to measure up to the righteousness that God demands. But when we live according to the Spirit, we actually do meet the requirements of the law. Only when we live in the spirit. And so as I prepare to move to the next portion of our service, I had an opportunity to read a story about a well-known professor who was inter interviewed just before he died. And the interviewer asked him uh, what was the most profound question that he ever asked his students. And the professor passed the conundrum of catechesis. 
he moved over the intricacies of systematic theology. He pushed aside the profundity of doctrinal explanation and he said these words. The most profound question that he ever asked his students is, have you ever met the risen Savior? The question really goes beyond mere recitation of a creed. The explanation of a doctrine or the clarification of biblical regulation. It points to a relationship with the person of Christ. The question at its core addresses our greatest need to come out from under the wrath and condemnation of a holy God and be found in the perfect righteousness of Christ. There is no condemnation to the believer because condemnation was placed in Christ. So if you wonder what has God done with all of my sins, what he did to Christ. In Adam, we all fall short of the glory of God. But in Christ, we are assured eternal life. When we stumble in our sanctification by sinning, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 reminds us, reminds us that our righteous standing on judgment day is secure. You ain't got nothing to worry about. Oh, it's all right. Oh, it's all right. We're going to stumble in this life. But God, I thank you that I have eternal immunity. Eternal immunity. In the age to come. And my status is not condemned. Someone has a decision to make this morning. There are no excuses. All of our sins have been poured out in the sinless flesh of our Savior. There's a window of grace that's open today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is yet near. The Lord is waiting for you. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you this morning, God, that you allowed us.